Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Bruno Reagan. Bruno, a former Commodore player who is now doing some work for us at VandySports.com. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The news today is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury law firm in Nashville. These folks will shoot you straight on your rights and your options when you have been injured in an accident. Give them a call at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com and tell them you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Vanderbilt drops to 0-5 on the season, losing 27-14 at Mississippi State. Big killer in that game, turnovers. Commodores were minus 5, which negated a lot of other really good things. Keon Henry Brooks had 213 yards from scrimmage, and Mississippi State had just 204 total yards. Bruno Reagan joins me tonight. Bruno, of course, played football, was a three-year starter at Vanderbilt, has been out for a couple years, has helped out at the site here and there. I think that's going to be a more normal part uh, of our site experiences, having Bruno have a hand in that. And so, Bruno, with that, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me on the site. You know, I'm excited to be here, excited to work with you, Chris. Yeah, I know we've uh, you've helped me out before, and uh, I just I like what you do with the site. I like what you do with everything, so... I'm very proud to be here and working with you. Well, I'm glad to have a different perspective because you were going to bring a couple different perspectives than what anybody can provide, just the X's and O's, and, of course, being a recent graduate of Vanderbilt and a major football player there. So we are very thrilled to have you. I've known your family for years. They're good people. And uh, so I was just thinking, you know, I need some help for football coverage, and I didn't have to think long about who I wanted to have help me. Yeah, well, I I do I do feel like I can bring something that uh yeah I, I can bring definitely something that's a interesting point. It's kind of like that thing where you know uh how people are like oh why don't they have more X's and O's guys in the broadcasting booth like but at the same time you know the average fan might not want to hear it but I feel like subscribers to your site they come for that you know extra information that is something I think I can offer because it's just something that's not I don't know it's just something that's not it's just not there in like the medium too much. So I do think I can bring, and for the most part, I don't know if it's just cause everyone's scared of my dad or whatever on the site, but everyone seems to like the stuff. So, <laughs> so we'll see. This is true. We'll see. We'll see as the, we'll see as the months and years go on. Well, they probably should be scared of your dad. I think he could handle himself, although he's a, a gentleman, but I, I think they're there for the yeah. content and you, you can provide that. So, yeah. Oh, I'm glad it's going well so far, and I look forward to what we're going to do. Well, let's talk about the game Saturday. Just 
a crazy box score, right? Because yes. Vanderbilt almost, well, more than doubles up Mississippi State in total yardage. And you're thinking, okay, your path to victory against State is turnovers because that's mm-hmm. the worst team in the country in turnover margin. Uh, and yet minus five and still with the chance to win at the end. That was whatever I thought it was going to be. It was something different. Yeah, I did, totally didn't expect it either. And I, and going into the game, you know, it was one of those things where going into halftime, I was like, oh, boy, you know what? Like, like I just thought it was going to be one of those things. But the guys came out, continued to fight. I mean, it's not like they changed much on the game plan. They were just um, – the defensive wise, they stuck, they stuck exactly to what they, they brought more pressure and twisted and twist things, uh, which worked out well. You know, they got in the backfield, got some TFLs, got some sacks and that got them off the field, but the offense just started clicking and that helped the defense out by them staying on the field. And, and uh, it was just extremely sound football from what I saw, you know, props to the OC props to the O-line O-line coach. I mean, the whole offense just came out in the second half and exploded, but if you can't hold on to the football, it's all for night. And this is something that, you know, it's not like Mason doesn't know this. It's something that when I was there, it was number one. Like we would have a sheet of like the number of like 10 most important things to go into for practice for all. And we would record every single fumble. We would record every single drop and you would get, and if you were a guy at offensive position, you get punished for it. And this is something that was in our room, like in the O-line room, we would have a billboard of how many times the skill, like which each, each skill player and how, they, if they fumbled or if they caused a turnover in practice. So it's something they just, it's something they stress. And I know they do. I think it was just a lack of execution on the team's part. And you know, most of the, most of the turnovers came from a freshman court, a true freshman quarterback in Ken seals, who dude was, you know, a few months ago in high school, which is unbelievable to me to even be playing which, but some guys can do it. And the kid's obviously talented. Don't get me wrong, but he just chose, I think the wrong week to have his freshman game because Vanderbilt smoked Mrs. I mean, the broadcaster said it themselves. And I, I put it, I put the quote in my little story. It was just like Vanderbilt, you know, they, they beat state in every statistical category except turnovers. And it's just, if you don't turn, if you can't not turn the ball over, you're going to lose. So when I watch Ken Seals, it seems like the mistakes are the same ones where he just doesn't see a defender. Now, there are different kinds of interceptions you can throw. You can throw one where you want the ball here, but you can't get it there, and you throw it somewhere else instead and it gets picked. Or sometimes you just don't see an underneath defender or maybe spot a guy at the line of scrimmage with his arms up and make the adjustment. To me, Ken Seals' mistakes – or uh, he just doesn't see something that's in front of him. But I'm thinking if it's that or it's just an accuracy mistake that he wants to get the ball a certain place and he can't, I would rather have the first than the second because I think accuracy is probably harder to correct. I think either you have it or you don't after a while. But I think that the reason that he's getting all those picks is, again, not seeing things. But I think as he gets reps – and does film study and just the speed of the game becomes a natural thing to him because he played at a phenomenally tough level of high school, but nothing can prepare you for the SEC. No. To me, I watch him. If you want to take some encouragement, A, it's he's talented. B, it's I think that the mistakes that he's making or the kind that are going to really disappear get minimized over time. Yeah, listen, if you're going to have – we're 0-5 right now, right? If you're going to have this kind of season – Best to have it on your – because let's – I'm not going to share – Ben, Ken is going to be the most important player at Vanderbilt for the next four years. By none, by – like, it is undisputable. He's going to be the most important in, de- in everything. Development, you know, how he ends up. He's going to eventually be the leader. So if there's going to be any season where you're having the 0-5 season, might as well be his true freshman year, okay? So it's really not – and Corona can be the excuse that he gets him out of these reps because let's, let's talk about his first pick. So So – Vanderbilt comes out up tempo. We've done this multiple times with Coach Mason as head coach. He comes into our offensive meeting the night before. He goes, "We're just going to run. It. We're going to have the exact same offensive plan. Usually, a good offense will script out their first ten plays. Now, obviously, you go off script if something crazy happens, like you bust a huge run or something, you're in the red zone. But normally, the first ten plays of offense, and this is even at the pro level, are scripted out. You know, and you want to try and stay on that script just so everybody can understand what they're." 
it just helps the offense have a little bit of a footnote and that gives them a heads up on the defense. So Vanderbilt obviously was like, we're going to go NASCAR and we're going to pound the run the first three plays. They go boom, boom, boom. You know, they get the first down. Then they obviously wanted to attack downfield with play action. Now we hit the play action. And the only time you ever want to take that deep, deep shot is when it's one-on-one man on man. And then you can let your guy make the play. But obviously, you know, they have state read that play action and they're, I don't know if it was a linebacker from underneath or a safety that came over, but either way, the play action has to draw everybody off that one-on-one. And if you can't, you know, notice that, that, that has to be the first thing you look at. You don't look at the one-on-one you look at, is everybody else biting into the play action? And then you look at your one-on-one, you know, it has to be that quick. And these are 100% things that can be fixed. And I think they're going to fix it. I really do. Um, and I, from everything I've seen, I've seen Ken make a few bad throws. Yeah. But like they're, you know, he'll throw a slant and he's like behind the shoulder, but it, that's really not that big of a deal either. I think Ken's shown more than enough that he can play at this level. And I think he's going to get better. You know, it was just one of those things where we had a saying in the old line room. It was like, you know, bad stuff rolls downhill quick. We obviously said it in a little bit more of a vulgar way, but that it, it just goes downhill real fast. And when things are going good, you know, it's like, okay, okay. But then it can just kind of crumble in an instant. And I think he made, you know, that early mistake. And it was very, it took a whole half to recover from that. And even then we, it just, the bug bit at the end. Defensively, I was watching and Derek would rush three, three down linemen and drop everybody in the coverage. And state was just picking them apart with short passes in getting a 17-0 lead, it seemed like they got a lot more pressure in the second half. That made a world of difference. I think State had 46 yards in the second half or something like that. It might not have even been that many. I asked Derek about that in the post game because it looked to me like they were getting more aggressive, sending maybe four or five guys at times. Mm-hmm. And he kind of blew off the question and said, no, we were basically doing the same thing is how I interpreted it, but that's not what I thought I was watching. What did you think? Um, I think, yeah, I think he avoided the question a little bit because it, it is the same thing. Their defense is the same. It's not like they go in and they change things. So it was the same defensive structure, which was, I put it in my story, it was an awkward defensive structure. It's, it wouldn't be something I'm used to, but it's because they're also playing against an offense you wouldn't see too much in the NFL. I think, you know, the Cardinals might be the closest to wanting to do it. But even then, if you don't have a run game in the NFL, you're, you're not going to be successful. Mike Leach doesn't, it's like he doesn't have a run game. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at the Vanderbilt offense and it spreads out from a three, four, which is what we started when I was there. I know they switched to some four down stuff, but it, it turned us from our, our normal base three, four to like a three, two, the outside linebackers were probably, it was probably like a dime package. So what that means is instead of big guys on the edge and the three, four, the two guys who would be the edge linemen, they probably turned into like, you know, smaller guys in the packages to try and cover better because Vanderbilt loves that bend, don't break defense. They want to try and keep everything in front of them, which is weird because the, you know, it's very clear they've had tackling issues, but regardless, they have that bend, don't break style. And it, when it came out in the second half and it was the exact same thing. And, you know, state state wasn't going to run, run on the tackles. So they didn't really take advantage of it. They kept passing, they kept passing. And, it was the same defense, but then they were starting to throw some twist games in there. They threw some twist games on the pass series. You know, it's important for the defense to get a stop on first down, and that allows the defense to open up their blitz packages from more of a second and long perspective. And as long as the safeties, you know, do their job and keep the ball in front of them, it's not going to be a huge risk. And I just think it worked out well for them in the second half. So it wasn't like a huge game plan change. I think the defense was just playing better on first and second down, and that allowed them to get to their their pressure packages. Because that's what – I mean, it was – significantly more pressure in the second half linebackers were coming up. They were going more man on the edges. That's exactly what happened. Well, it probably helped too, that state did not have a receiver like some of the ones Vanderbilt's played against Terrace Marshall being one, uh, Elijah Moore being another one where, you know, they can just throw the ball to that guy over and over and they can't stop it. This seemed like more of a fair fight for the secondary uh, because I just don't think they can cover lead SEC receivers. Yeah, I mean, being I always say defensive backs are like the annoying offensive linemen of the other side of the ball. I mean, you get no credit. It's like the toughest job on the field, and the only time you ever get called out is when, you know, stuff's going bad. And we, you know, there's obvious 
it's been clear over the years. There's been a lot of size mismatches for our defensive backs outside of, you know, Jawan Williams. He was an absolute stud and freak. And although he pissed me off the lot, the dude was a great player and that's undeniable. And our, that competitiveness brought, you know, brought everybody up, but I think they've had some trouble, you know, finding these guys as, uh, as these top guys, you know, started to work out the, the program. We even had some guys who weren't like, you know, Jawan size prospect. We had like Trey Herndon out there, Trey Tarpley in the secondary, Ladarius Wiley, Ryan White, guys that would at least, at least if they caught the ball, these guys would crack you down the field and make you think twice about going up for it. And they turn into a dog fight. I think our guys try to play really finesse or try to, I mean, sometimes you're not on the same level. Chris, I wasn't on the same level as of athlete as those defensive linemen. And the first part about becoming a better player was accepting that and finding ways to bring myself up to that. Like I'm not, I'm not on their level athletically. So what can I do to, you know, bridge that gap? I think some of these guys, you know, they try to play as if they're on the same level. Like if AJ Brown's on the edge with you, we were so lucky we had Jawan Williams, but if you're not like, if you're not Jawan, Someone else, someone's got to do, like, you have to change the game plan. You can't just take your normal backpedal and just get burnt off the go and have a toss-up ball. You're Yeah, you're going to lose that fight 100%. That's not a 50-50. That's an 80-20. So I definitely see what, I definitely see where the struggles are coming from the defense. And I can't speak to the X's and O's as hard as I can offensively to the defensive backs. But I think it's been such a thing over even the years, like maybe the past two to three seasons, that it's something that people can look at and even the average person can see on, on TV that it's been an issue. So, and state, it definitely helped that state didn't have, you know, that, that top guy to kind of exploit that. But it's, been, it, I mean, our defense has been statistically one of the worst in the SEC. And that's been one of the issues, you know, run game pounds us, run game pounds us. So everyone's trying to stop the run game. And then they start going to these big time receivers on play action or first down and, you know, we've been getting smoked with it. When I would go to watch practice in August, your senior year, I thought Jawan Williams and Kalijah Lipson were going to get in a fight every practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's just the, and I do, there were days where I wanted to grab Jawan by the throat in the locker room afterwards and just go to town. But that's, but, and, but at the end of the day, I say that, but we knew it was just all, it's all business. It's all part of the deal. Like that's, what's going to push us. And me and Jawan were always super cool on like off the field, even though on the field, like he would come up to me when I would like pull on a screen and then we'd have a battle on the edge and like we, and he just make me extremely mad. And it, that's that's just the way we did things. And I, uh, again, I haven't seen the way Vanderbilt's doing things right now, and I assume not much has changed. Like, it's, I'm sure there's a bunch of competitive guys out there, but that's just the way. Uh, that's just the way things were. Those were talented guys. Those were 100 percent talented guys. And if you don't have that, you know, I, if you're not going to be talented, you better be a dog. So I, I just hope that's what that's what's going on, and these guys are, you know, coming up in the ranks. I'm going to go ahead and go to the mailbag because we've got a ton of questions there. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call Josh today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about his business on our podcast. View in Georgia says, During fall camp, many believe the offensive line would be a big weakness of this team. However, they seem to be playing well. What grade would you give offensive line coach Peter Rosamondo in putting the offensive line together and in their development? I'd give coach, I'd give him a, I'd give him a B minus or a B, you know, it's not an A, obviously you can't, I don't think anybody is the way I, the way I would grade somebody is I don't think anybody deserves A with the product we're putting out right now. Right. But from what I've heard on the inside too, is like, you know, he's not take cause the offensive line played really well last night, but he's not taking it easy on the guys. You know, he's grading him hard, coaching all hard. And I really like that. You know, it's not, we're not here to be sunshine pumpers. We're here to get better and we're here. We're, and we're here to win. So I give him a B, but he really has done something. I mean, his top two of his top guys, you know, opted out right off the right off the bat. Like that's a guy supposed to come in and be your leader, and he just leaves. And you know, now the only veteran they have is Grant Miller, and then you're starting games with you know grad transfer, 
Um, you're starting games with a former defensive lineman that's never played a snap of offense two weeks before the first game. You know, everyone else is just super young and they're, they haven't seen any of these looks and all of a sudden they're asked to be the guy. So I do think, cause I was expecting the same thing. I was like, wow, the old lines, you know, this is going to be a rough year, but I think every game they've been one of the brighter spots. So it definitely deserves one of those higher grades, you know, and above C would be like an average grade. Like they're doing average. I think they're exceed these. This is one of the position groups that's actually exceeding expectations. So probably a B minus or a B. Oh yeah. I mean, they weren't supposed to be any good, even with the four or five guys who were gone. Yes. I mean, yes. The, I think that anything North of an absolute train wreck would have been an achievement. And they were not only not a train wreck, Saturday, but I thought they were very good. And oh, by the way, that included Julian Hernandez playing, I think, mm-hmm. his first college snaps. And you know, I thought that they ran really well between the tackles. Yes. And these are young guys, you know, Tyler Steen, Julian. Um, I know they had that true freshman that was playing at right tackle some. So these are guys that can, you know, really build. And if you get one to two, that's how me and school were. Me and school got into the lineup super early. Both of us, he was a true freshman. And I was a freshman. And then, you know, we never let go. And that allowed us to, you know, eventually become leaders in a unit and can show young guys how to do it rather than it should be one guy who maybe played 10 games on and off. And that's your, that's your, that's supposed to be the guy who leads the unit. Like maybe this can be something that eventually these guys can grow up and then, you know, kind of see that it's that the game's, it's not a big deal. Like they'll get into a groove and then maybe they can be an example for the young guys and how to, you know, because, but even how they're doing it now, you know, shout out to Grant Miller, shout out Drew, Drew Birchmeyer, Tyler Steen. I mean, Tyler's had the penalty bug a few times, but he's a hyper competitive guy. And Tyler Steen might be the most talented offensive lineman scout wise, like, and potential wise, he can do it. Like he can, it probably ranks Tyler Steen and then Grant Miller, you know, Tyler Steen could be a high draftable guy if he wanted to be. And then Grant Miller, um, he could also be one of those guys. Like they have talent on that unit. So seeing what these young guys and these other guys can do has been pretty huge, especially, uh, I mean, it's just, Oh, lineman is that position. You know, you don't have to be the most athletic. You don't have to fit all the boxes. If you have good footwork and if you're smart, you can go along with, and if you're a tough SOB, you can go a long way being an offensive lineman. So, 60-year fan says, I've asked myself, why did most of the offensive line opt out? Was it because they were upset at the loss of the offensive line coach or dislike for the new offensive line coach? Uh, My dog has an opinion on this, apparently. Uh, We have lost several to different schools along the way. What's up? Was it a COVID concern or fear? This was a terrible blow to the team. They have recovered well, all things considered. Says, I'd also like to hear your perspective on why Vanderbilt should fulfill commitments for scholarships when the athletes don't fulfill commitments. If it was based on fear of COVID, why not let them just stay home for a year with no scholarship and return the next year with no loss of funding or eligibility? That's a lot to bite off there, Bruno. Yeah, so I have the question in front of me too, so I'll try and, you know, attack all the pieces. Real, let me uh, do it. Let me attack this in a concise matter and just give you some straight up answers. Was you know, why did these linemen opt out? I have not called or asked or talked to. You know, that's their personal decision. But in my personal opinion, was it because you know of a fear of COVID? Maybe it was, but I think there's some other things going on. To maybe this, I think maybe the opt out system kind of gave dudes out a way out of their programs and you know a way out of getting like it's from a person from let's be honest from an ex like a deal it's not a bad deal you know you keep your scholarship and you don't play like you don't do anything you're just on full scholarship doing school you know for some of these guys maybe for some of these guys maybe it's a way out maybe it's just they got to football and i mean it is a tough commitment like you commit i mean your whole life as a student athlete so which is not a a bad life, but maybe it's not for some people. And I think this offered a way now, does that mean, you know, Cole Clemens wanted to be out of football, you know, probably not, you know, this is a multi-layered question, but I don't think it's just fear of COVID was a reason people were opting out. I think there was more deeper issues with each person that opted out. That's just me. Now for the next question here, my perspective on should V fulfill commitment scholarships? Like if they don't play, no, I don't think they should, but that's also personal opinion. Is it an ethical one? Um, maybe, maybe not. 
that that could be something that I could talk about for probably hours or a whole night at a bar or something. Like I could go on a rant for this forever. Um, yeah, Vanderbilt brought you in to do a service, and you were compensated for that service and a scholarship. And if you're not doing it, you know, what are you doing? You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't go to school for free. You should be like every other student, and you should apply for scholarships, and you should try to get what you can. But you're kind of just taking advantage of the system at this point, which I mean, I guess some people have found success in life doing that, you know, trying to take advantage of the system at every turn. But eventually I feel like it's going to catch up with you. So to if you're if you're on scholarship, I'm not attacking you. Obviously, if you're at Vanderbilt or if you're in any other school, you know, just kind of taking the scholarship. It, that'd be a ridiculous thing to give up for honorable. Like if you're like, oh, I'm not going to accept the scholarship for honorable reasons. No, if like if COVID was a serious pandemic disease and I opted out, I'm not giving up the scholarship. Like I, obviously I'm going to keep it. Do I think Vandy would be this evil entity if they didn't like upkeep the scholarship for people not playing? No, they. I think I think that's a pretty fair trade because Vanderbilt already like. I think most of their scholarships are paid through uh, like donors money, like their name scholarships. It's not just, it's not just like from a salary endowment cut or anything like people invest in the athletic department. And that's where our scholarships come from. I had a name scholarship and they're like, there were these, and I had to email these people who were basically the funders of my scholarship, you know, not to name them, but I think that's only fair. Like, you know, they're investing in us. You should invest in the university. But that's also just me. Now, let's see if there's anything else to this question. Based on fear of COVID, why not just let them stay home for a year with no scholarship and return? Uh, also, from a coaching perspective, like, if you're just going to stay home from the season and everyone else is going to work, that's not going to be a good look on you. Like, I would expect that all the guys who opted out are not going to be back. They're not going to be back at Vanderbilt playing, and if they do play, they're going to be at another school. You know what I'm saying? It's just hard for you to – whether you think it's valid or not, it's going to look like you gave up on the team. Some guys might blame you for it. Some coaches might hold it against you. Cause I mean, these coaches are fighting for their jobs. They got to put food on the table. So, and you're helping, you're helping in that process. And if you're going to, you know, be like, Hey, it, it might be what's best for you to opt out, but at the same time, don't expect to come back. And that's life. You know, there's trade-offs and there's consequences to decisions. And I think that's an important thing to understand. So we probably won't see any of the opt-out guys come back and play for Vanderbilt. And that that'll be the end of that. And I think that covers anything, everything in your question. I think it does. Uh, Dorking with the next one. How's the morale of the players? Not going to lie. It's probably all time low. I mean, you're own five, which is pretty insane because it's moment. I was, I wrote in my piece. Momentum is huge. And that goes for in games and that goes for in season. And that goes for season to season to season. Like, I mean, let's look at Penn state and James Franklin. They might never recover from what's happening now. They could have the top recruits ever, but if you're Owen, if you're like, Owen three, Owen four, you end up like being Penn state and going three and six, you know, it's going to be hard to come out of that rut for forever. It's the same thing with Vanderbilt. You know, are we kind of, uh, we had all of our best guys and we kind of capped, capped our seasons at six and seven. And then after that, you know, we graduated and they tried to, they tried to work with what was the big three last year. And it just, if the big, it's kind of like if the big three only goes what three and three wins, then what's going to happen, you know, what's expected next with a freshman quarterback. Um, so I can't, I can't lie. It's the player's job to just laser focus in. And I think this is actually something they're doing. They showed against Mississippi state, you know, they're own four, they go into Mississippi state, then they're down 17 to zero. You know, I think most people will expect Vanderbilt to just give up and they just come back out and they just play their tails off. So maybe the players are doing exactly what they need to do. They're canceling out the noise, which is something Mace tries to harm on over and over and over again, you know, cancel out the noise, go out there. If you're not going to play for anything else, play for you, you and your why and why you're out there, you know, do it. You know, don't waste your time. Don't waste your youth. Don't waste your opportunities. You know, go out there, show something, try to be an NFL player one day, try and take it. And I think these guys are doing it. So while maybe I'm looking at it as a fan when I say hello, but maybe those guys are, you know, they're trying to take the good from each week and, you know, eventually pull off their SEC win and then maybe build off that. S. Butler the fourth says, what role can football players play, if any, in increasing Vanderbilt student attendance at games? Does student attendance matter to players? Um, 
let me say it like this. Does student attendance matter to players? Not really. No. Can football players play a role in increasing student attendance? Nah. We're all trying to not fail and be eligible so we can play. I mean, there's not much we can there's not much we can do. And there's not much, you know, you're on campus at Vanderbilt. There's probably one in 10, 20 people who really care what's going on with the football team or athletics in general. You go to like Alabama, it's every single person. You know, you win or lose a game, that probably determines how good your week is in school or not. At Vanderbilt, it's just totally separate lives. And I mean, obviously, fans and home game environments, that all matters. That all mattered in Tennessee in 2016. That all mattered at Old Miss in 16 and 18. I mean, this, it matters, but as far as players doing something, I think the players just have to, if the players want people in the stands, they got to win. That's the only thing. So it's not going to be anything else. You win, people will come. Even now, if you win, people will come. But if you know, you know, we're dropping games to UNLV or we're losing 50 to zero, nobody's going to come. It's that simple. People will watch, especially faithful Vandy fans, but the, even the most faithful Vandy fans are just going to watch from home. You know, that's a pretty big investment for some people, especially nowadays to get out and watch. Um, yeah, frankly, they can't anymore, but you know, that's, that's just one of the deals when things open back up. I mean, it was bad before COVID who knows what it's going to be like after, if we don't have anything to, you know, look forward to. Bobby two times asks outside of coaching, what is the biggest need for the players facilities, nutrition, et cetera. He wants to know. So I was seeing some posts about, you know, maybe nutrition's week and, you know, SC's strength and conditioning's week. Um, Real quick, before I guess I answer this question more directly, I think it's a shame that some of these players, I think it's a shame that there's a, I'm just going to flat out say there's a lot of people who get recruited to play at Vanderbilt and have this, you know, you got to have this out the mud mindset. You got to like, you're going to be playing against the best athletes and you know it. And I think some people just aren't built to play at Vanderbilt. I don't, I think a lot of people get recruited. They never even touch the field. And I think that's a disservice to them. I think there was a lot of misses in recruiting where guys, you know, get called up to the sec level and, you know, it's hard for a kid to not accept an offer from an SEC school and a prestigious school as Vanderbilt. But we, we're we all like, you know, how is strength? You know, why do we look so small? I think it's just, you know, a ton of misses in recruiting. And that's not even to bash the recruiting guys. We have a lot of hits as well. But I think there's a there's been a strategy that they're trying to employ, you know, and uh, they hit they hit on a few guys, but then it kind of comes to the end of the rush of the season. You know, you need guys to fill the roster. And even then, we don't have guys filling the roster right now. I think there are just some guys who are not meant to play at this level that end up on the roster. And it shows a lot. Um, heck, you could even argue that I was one of those guys. I was a totally late pickup two weeks before, just kind of uh, just kind of trying to fill bodies because Franklin poached everybody. You know, did it work out? I'd say it would. I say it did, but I think a lot of those guys don't work out, and I don't think it's really because I was in the same nutrition program, strength conditioning program, and that stuff was as high of a level as a guy. A new weight room. Oh yeah, that helped. So we have to split. We have to the way times work and the way Vanderbilt works. So Vanderbilt doesn't give you housing priority. It doesn't give you class priority like every other school does as an athlete. So, and our weight room is so small that we have to split the times. So we can't just work out the whole team at one time or anything. So basically, offense will do something, defense will do something, and then we'll go and split. And this cuts into a lot of our class time, which is a huge deal at Vanderbilt. You know. So class time gets cut into, I have to basically after practice or after a lift run like 10 miles to the other side of campus and just, and it's a class not even on campus and I'm just heading over there and I have 10 minutes to get over there. So I show up, it's just, everything there is pretty unoptimal on an athlete on an athlete, and, a, and a new weight room would definitely, at least a bigger weight room would help in a sense. We could just work out the whole team at once. Cause there've been times where guys, you know, have to leave class 30 minutes early cause they need, they need to take a specific or they need to leave practice 30 minutes early. This happened to one of my roommates. He had to leave practice 30 minutes early and he was a contributor. He had to leave practice 30 minutes early because his class was at a certain time and we had to have practice at the certain time because to get everybody's lifts and strength and conditioning in at the level we needed it to be, it took the whole morning because we have such a small room that we have to do it on different groups. It's just, it is a huge disadvantage. Like, and I've always been on the guy 
on the side that like, you know, we won without facilities before. Why don't we need them? Eventually we do need them. And we're falling each year. We're falling exponentially behind. You know, it's not like we're going just step by step behind. I mean, it's a curve and it is dropping. It's going to be hard for us to pick up on where everybody else is going, especially at our level. So what I've heard from people is James Dobson is really good at his job. And that one of the issues is just the nutrition in the dining hall is not what the kids need in terms of volume and things that are catered towards football players. I'm wondering what your thoughts on that are. It might've changed. It might've changed. That's something I don't, it's something, you know, I don't, I don't even know. I haven't been, you know, I've been out of the program for what now it's been two years. So it, it things can change drastically in two years. When I was there, it had, I felt like it had everything it needed 100%. And we, that was one of the areas where Vanderbilt actually covered us was in food and nutrition. And, you know, I think it covered all areas in term in our, I think strength, conditioning and nutrition and dining did everything well in my personal experience. Now I haven't been there and I haven't even asked, you know, I haven't been on campus in a while. So I don't know how it, how things are going in McGugan right now or not. If they, you know, maybe cut cost or if COVID kind of set things back. Cause there are, there are some cases where, you know, I'll, I'll talk to somebody and they're like, yeah, I have to, you know, I'm trying to bulk up to 315 and I just literally can't right now. I just don't know what that means. Are they not getting, you know, fed enough? Because when I was there, we definitely got fed enough, but that's definitely something I should probably look into as far as, you know, the jobs of the nutritionist and the jobs of the strength and conditioning. I will go to my grave saying that those guys are top tier guys. And it's a shame that, you know, we we are where we're at right now. Cause we'll end up losing some seriously talented guys that do extremely well, their jobs, just as you know, they're casualties and they're going to be casualties in this whole thing. Eventually, I think so. Dusty Orlean says Derek Mason has been through an amazing amount of offensive and defensive coordinators in his tenure. Any thoughts as to why there seem to be so many? I think he's now four on both sides of the ball. That includes him as his own defensive coordinator for a couple of years. Um, well, Ludwig was a guy who he probably would have kept as long as he could have, but Ludwig put together an offensive resume of Ludwig was Ludwig grew on his success each and every year in all categories was super strong in the red zone. You know, I, I think, you know, obviously they would have tried to keep Ludwig as much as they could have, but Ludwig knew that he was going to be able to move on to, you know, a bigger and a better thing probably. So that was definitely not, you know, so basically we had Carl Durrell and, you know, you know, I think we all saw how that worked out. You know, it just didn't work. And then we had Ludwig and then Ludwig moves out where the, and, but Ludwig does so well, you know, but we got three to four. That's solid for a coordinator. We got three to, especially at Vanderbilt, we got three to four years out of him. And it was just a really good run offensively. I think where the trouble has been, has been in defense. Cause you know, Mace has been trying to do the head coach and, he tries to be the defensive coordinator himself. The defensive staff has turned over a lot over the years. You know, guys leaving for different jobs. We had Tarver. Now we have the new guy. And it's the same schemes, but the results were not nearly what we had with Ludwig. Ludwig, I mean, it was on paper undeniable in yards gain, turnover margin, uh, red zone efficiency, run efficiency, which is basically, you know, is your total average run longer than four yards as controlling the run game. Um, every single statistic, there were some weeks we'd take a step back, of course, but every single statistic through the seasons grew and grew and grew and grew, and we made it a typical goal. I don't think defense had uh, – and defense was a turnover machine. They would cause turnovers a lot, but as far as in other statistics, like I remember in my last year or two – we were just getting ran on Chris. Like we were giving up 300, 400 yards rushing every other week. And it was something un- like if we ever got three, I don't think we ever got 300 yards rushing on a team when I was there Two hundred, you get 200 yards. You're like, dang, we ran the ball. Well, like that's amazing. But people were running on us for like 300 to 400. It was insane. So I think just, 
trying to find, you know, what works on defense has been a huge thing. And now that the offense and a part of the reason the defense had the chance to be successful is because our offense was decent. You know, we stay on the field. We're a pro style. We ate up time of possession. And that's huge for defense. You know, that should be able to give them some rest. But now, you know, we have question marks on offense. So now the defense is kind of, you know, it's going to be tough. A good offense leads to a good defense. But we had a good offense and the defense was, you know, struggling then. Now we have a struggling offense. It's it's going to be even tougher for the defense to see, you know, progress. So I think that's why coordinators are going to keep bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. And that's part of the deal, too. You know, you never keep a good coordinator. You know, Lane Kiffin isn't going to stay at Alabama forever. People are going to come and go. And it's the it's the it's the team's job to, you know, adapt to that. And I don't think. I think Coach Mason did the right thing in terms of moving different ways after last season entirely because you can't accept that. But, you know, eventually it's going to all come up to the top if it doesn't change. Jor King asks, what offensive scheme would you choose for Vanderbilt long term? Uh, pro style, what we have with Ludwig. It's And people are going to be like, oh, pro style, you know, that's uh, that's something that you know, we mismatch. No, we people want to go to the spread. We mismatch in the spread. Spread is for when you have ath- like I always say there's an athlete and then there's an intelligence like thing. And if you're more athletic, but you can't handle too much mentally, like you just don't have the you just don't have the cognitive ability, maybe to make these quick, quick, quick decisions. You know, then you go more spread. But if these guys are like six six, run four fours, and you're just going downfield, you can just launch, launch, launch. Same route concepts, things like Mike Leach was doing back at Wazoo. I think that's uh that's like a true spread. I want, I think Vanderbilt would do best in the pro style where we were mismatched, of course, and you would see it on things like fourth and one. I think our fourth down conversion was the only offensive statistic that wasn't like where we ever wanted it to be. I think you would see those mismatches happen there, especially at tight end and tackle positions at where we were weaker at times. But I think the pro style controls time of possession. I think if you have an extremely good quarterback, which they do in Ken Seals, you know, that gives options. For the most part, we would go, when Kyle got into the groove, we would go up to the line with a play and then Kyle could not only reverse the play with a call with what he saw from either safety rotation or linebacker alignment, he had the ability to change the play if the front was different. And, you know, and Kyle knew that we ran zone extremely well into three down fronts, but we ran power extremely well into four down fronts if the if their three tech was to our tight end side, like that's a lot to process in 10 seconds, especially for a young guy. But if Ken can ever get there, I feel like that gives the offense a chance to maximize time on the field. It'll make you more efficient. It turns into a science. It truly does. And I think that's where Vanderbilt can make up for talent gaps. You know, you can't have a pro style defense, you know, you just got to have dogs on the field. But as, as far as offensively, you can have a pro style offense and take some guys in there and really control the game with less talent. I think that's what the pro style can do. And if you get talent with the pro style, you know, you're set. So that's my opinion. Tor King says, where would you rank Derek Mason among SEC coaches? I mean, I'm a guy of results. We're, we're 14 of 14 right now by far. Uh, if it, and this is something coach Mason, you know, coach Mason would, I think it was after the Alabama game and we all know who that went. And basically he, he, uh, right before I went to go talk in a presser, he, uh, he basically blamed the run game. He was like, our run game is abysmal. And then he came out to me right before I was supposed to go on right after. And, you know, we had a quick talk and, uh, he was like, you know, this is basically my challenge to you, like all this stuff. And, you know, try, you know, are you going to take it personal or are you going to accept the challenge kind of deal? And it, coach, I've always said coach Mason and me, our personalities click real well in a coach to player. Um, I, I like the way he, I like the way he coached me. I like the way he uh, pushed me, but I would do, I would offer the same criticism to him right now. And he knows it. I know he knows it is like the wins aren't there. You know, I can't, if if anything, I think he's better than Mike Leach. I think Mike Leach is abysmal. Like watching Mississippi State, you know, having absolutely no run game, you're going to do that in the SEC. You're not going to stay long. I think at least, uh, you know, they had that upset win against uh, LSU, and that was it. I truly think Coach Mason, like, 
can probably like he puts together a better like system than Mike Leach. I don't I don't like that air raid stuff at all. I think it I think it's going to get exposed real quick. But who knows? Uh, quote this down and maybe uh, maybe we'll come back five years from now when Mike Leach wins the SEC four times in a row. Who knows? But obviously you don't see in the NFL for a reason. I mean, the higher level of football you go, it's just the more pro style you have to be that's why they call it the pro style it's because it's the base style of offense it's basically the west coast style of offense that bill wash developed you know run first you have to establish the run and the run opens up the pass that's 100 percent how things have gone in the sec over the past few years i can't think of any sec teams that gone full spread and be successful even kentucky who runs like a suit they run a pseudo spread and they um they like they still run the ball down your throat with power schemes. So if anything, I think Coach Mason would rank 13 out of 14. I don't think Mike Leach is going to last long in this league. But yeah, 13 of 14 or 14 of 14. I think that's I think that's honestly fair. Like the results speak for itself. We're on five. We have to take it what it is and we got to move on. We got to try and be better. Next one from door 2009. Do Vanderbilt football alums think it's time for a change at head coach? Oh, yeah. I'm one of the anomalies of alum who like Mason, like, uh, like I like him personally and I like him as a coach, but even I, you know, have to say that, you know, the like at a, at a point Vanderbilt has to, you know, say they have to set the standard. Like if we're going to constantly allow these seasons to happen and, you know, maybe get one bowl game here and there, you know, is that the standard we want? Is that what we're going to accept? Is that what we're going to tolerate? You know, even for a guy like me who has all like, I don't want that to be that. I don't want to be six and six. And so that's coming from a guy who had a close personal relationship with Coach Mace. Everybody else, they don't have that. They're like, this is awful. This needs to be gone ASAP. So I think that, you know, outside of a select few alum who are a lot like me and like Coach Mason personally, um, most of them want to see the, they want to see the change years ago. So maybe even after that first season, I mean, that first season was bad and I was there for that. So I think, uh, I think the alum are just kind of in waiting right now. Like the, the more silent majority alum is probably in waiting right now, waiting for a change of any kind. Bobby two times says, who would you like to see as head coach? Um, I wish we got, would have gotten Will Healy when he was open, but I don't think there's much of a chance for that now. I think he's uh, I think he's exactly the type of guy the program would need. You know, he's one of those young recruiter, get people excited type. And uh, I will, if you win at Austin P, you can win anywhere. I I was <laughs> I'm a Clarksville native, right? My dad, my my dad, mom went to college there. My like, if you can make turn something like that around then I think you were the guy for the job, but that was just me. And he's at Charlotte now, I believe, or did he move on from Charlotte? He's at Charlotte. Um, he's still at Charlotte. I mean, that, Charlotte never went, Charlotte just went FBS first time, like when I got into college. So, and then they were abysmal. And then he gets there after turning other program around and he goes to a bowl game. And then there's that viral clip of his players literally just wave surfing the guy, like, and I'm just like, dude, what are we doing? Like, we need to throw the checkbook at this guy. But um, it's not like I think Coach Mace is a bad coach either. I think Vanderbilt just needs a certain type of guy. And I think James Franklin fit in really well here, you know, all, all things considered, even all the, all the stories and all the behind-the-scenes thing. I think on the surf – like, he got the job done and the Vanderbilt thing. I think if you throw Coach Mace into, like, a supported SEC program, I think he does well. I think he does really well, probably eight, nine win seasons, but champ, it would be, it would wait to be seen. It could also end up like a David Shaw type deal. You know, they have, they're either extremely dominant or they're either, you know, kind of in the gutter. So, well, I guess time will tell further down the career because no coach stays at one school for forever, unless you're like Kansas state or something. But, but as far as uh, the coach, I probably would have wanted most. It was probably, it was probably coach Healy. I don't know if his uh, I don't know I don't know much about his schemes or anything, but I just feel like Vanderbilt needs that personality, and he might have been one of the top guys. The next one is from Harley Hog forty four. If Vanderbilt doesn't change its direction for sports, would a new coach even make a difference? 
Uh, I think about this quite a bit. I just always think back to Coach Corbin and what he's built at Vandy Baseball. And I'm just – because they their student-athletes go through basically the same thing as us, as football players, you know. Obviously, we have a lot more players, and that might make it tougher. But I I think you can win and build a culture here, all things considered. You just have to go about it at a very certain – you have to go at it with an attack plan. You know, not only are you going to be attacking other SEC schools, you have to attack the university standard itself. And I think that's something James Franklin did. He got he got the whole indoor built. But um so I think it could happen without a change in direction at the top. But obviously it'd make things ten times easier if the university just, you know, invested in athletics like they were a dang ICC school. I think it'd make things I think Coach Mason would have I think we could have been one of those teams if, you know, if we just if the football program was on a other because if you go to visits at any other school, you know. Their football program is like a kingdom and the football area is like a castle. You come to Vanderbilt, it's like a speck in the dust. And, you you know, we they, the recruiting team does the best they can. They try to show you the beautiful parts of the campus and the school. But if I want to be real with you, Chris, 90% of the top football players do not care about school. They want to be winners. They want to play football and they want to win football and they want to win. You know, it's a rare thing to get a guy who wants to do both. And it's, you know, more commonly that you get a guy who's like, oh, it's a nice school. I'll go to Vanderbilt. And, you know, kind of, you know, football is might not be their main priority. That's been a criticism of Vanderbilt from the NFL level for a long time. It's like, oh, do these guys care about football? That's something we get asked all the time. So I just wish and I don't even think the athletic department can do. I don't know how much power the athletic department has because you see what happened to Malcolm Turner. He's just kind of outed. And it's just like, you know what? I think we, we always say we need change from the top. What does that mean? I don't even know. And I don't get paid enough to to solve the issue for them. You know, the school, if the school's going to have football and compete at the SEC, they need to start, and they're going to be collecting this, what, $24 million check from the SEC. They need to start investing and get back, and we just never see it. It's been, I've been personally involved with the program for six, seven years, and it's just, I don't think much has changed at all. And our stadium looks like a dump compared to everywhere else. You know, Every now and then we have a nice night game atmosphere. And obviously we have a nice city that we just kind of, it's not like we did anything to earn the city of Nashville. It's just kind of, we're just in it. So it seems, it seems to me, let me cut you off there and ask you something. It seems to me like it's gone back in the wrong direction since Malcolm Turner uh, left or was forced out or whatever you want to call it. But I think that I was told that he was working on priority registration for students so you didn't have the issues like the players have now and like you had. Uh, the air conditioning was out for a couple of months. Uh, you know, there's been some other stuff that's gone on. I just – you keep hearing about the president being committed to winning and all those things, but it just seems like to me like this has not been a good year for them in that regard. Yeah, and I don't – Chris, I just don't. I just don't know the answer. And I've like, and obviously these discussions are to try and like work towards something. But if I knew the answer, I would just, I would go straight to the, I would like call an emergency like meeting of the board and be like, guys, we like, we can do this. We can invest in this and it could be an investment back in the university. And this could be, you know, it could be, it can be a positive symbiotic thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, one way or the other, but uh it just sucks. It sucks for the kids and it sucks for the coaches. Cause I know it's not like the coaches or even the athletic department, you know, maybe the athletic department now isn't fighting back as much as they once were, but it's not like even if they fought back, they would do like these people have families to feed and they need a salary and they need their job. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes the greater good or the state of the program sometimes doesn't matter to people when your job comes under fire, like the school wants it done a certain way. And these people, eventually are kind of you know bent to the will to follow it so i'm not sure what needs to happen i really i really i'm really don't i think we can win without it but as far as creating you know what happens if we you know went, do well and win and then we have a bad season and then things crash for another 20 years and it takes you know a special guy to kind of build it back up before he gets hired away by from a big 10 school or something you know i don't you know we're in the sec we should be one of the top jobs in the country but we're definitely seen as a stepping stone. And this is something that's been discussed for the past, gosh, like eight to 10 years. And it's not like 
Chris, it's not like we need to change in eight to 10 years, but we haven't taken a single step in that time, you know? Yeah. I mean, since Franklin left, it's all gone backwards. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's still going backwards. And, you know, what, what do we even, where do we even start? You know, I, there, I, I guess you could think of a few places where to start, but are they going to do it? And COVID's not an excuse, really isn't, because COVID's an excuse for everybody right now. Everybody's dealing with it. You know, who's going to deal with it the best? I don't know. But just to say, oh, COVID, and then just throw all your problems, you know, in the in the back burner, I don't know if that's if that's a valid thing either. Vandy Fitz says, if Bruno were AD, what would be your first three moves to improve the football program? Football specifically, I mean, solid. They need a better weight room, 100%. That would solve, you know, even if we don't get priority registration and stuff, you know, that would solve a lot of the, uh, that would solve a lot of our time issues. Um, just even, I don't know how it, how we could even do it because McGugan's as small as it is. Um, I mean, I guess we just have to knock out part of the building and, and, and do it from there. Um, but somehow or another, we got to get a bigger weight room. Uh, two other two other positions i mean yeah we would need priority registration for the athletes so people don't have to miss practice for school i think that's ridiculous or immediately after practice you don't have to you know there's three there's certain three there's three class times for a certain class that's required to graduate and then you know you have to so what vanderbilt does is this is something that was always funny when i went there is they check your classes and um if you you know if you're not there, they'll basically tattletale on you to your coach, and then you get in trouble, or whatever, right? So a lot of times, you know, my I was a comm major, so I went on Edge Hill Avenue, which is basically super far from the school. So I had to literally sprint to class to get there. And if the class checker's there, you know, so a lot of the times the class checker would check the class, see I'm not in there the first five minutes, and I had to work out with my professor. I'm like, listen, I'm literally getting out like the second I get out of practice. And he was like, they were like, Oh yeah, that's totally fine. So I would get there no later than six minutes every single time. But if class checker goes in checks and then, you know, then I have to, then it goes through a process of basically tattletelling all the way up to my position coach. And then it, eventually you get it worked out, but it's just such, there's just so many little things like that. If you, you just wouldn't understand it unless you're there. There's just so many little, you're just like, why does it feel like everybody's like trying to trying for, they want me to fail. So that's part of that's that's definitely something I would change. Um, as far as the third thing, you know, I can't think of anything off the top. I think those I think the two things I just offered there are good are a good starting point for two because they're easy there. It's not like I'm asking for a hundred million dollar stadium renovation. It's not like I'm asking for them to, you know, change the Constitution of the United States of America. Like these are things that could help athlete athlete qual- quality of life so that they think like, hey, maybe I'm not, you know, because we get a general like we get a generous thing. Right, Chris, we get full scholarships to Vanderbilt University. But at some point, if you want us to be successful, you have to make changes that. And it sucks when we have buddies, a bunch of my best friends played at Tennessee. And I hear what they get. I hear what they get money wise in terms of cost of attendance. Like we lived in Nashville and I lived off campus for one of those years. And basically, we got told how much we could get on cost of attendance from the athletic department. Like they're like, this is how much you could get. And then right when we signed the lease, they cut it. And then it's like, now I'm an athlete struggling to make ends meet. Like I felt like I was a dude working two, working like two jobs and going to school. Like I've, I didn't feel like, you know, an sec athlete. A lot of times I just felt like a low class, a working class American, like just trying to make it. And um, it definitely, it's a lot of stress and it can take away from trying to perform at a top level. If that makes sense. So yeah, it does. Um, next one, Door King says, can you share any interactions or experience you had with David Williams or Candace Story Lee? Um, so I always liked both of them. I haven't seen Candace in her new role, but Candace, I believe, was the vice AD under David Williams. And every single time that, you know, and I can't even think of the situations anymore. It was so long ago, but there will be times where things were looking bad one way or another from the school, maybe in terms of like things. But I think Candace, Candace was always there too. Whenever David came, 
can't miss candace would come and she would make it a point they would both make it a point that they're going to do their best to fight for us as athletes they really did so i know candace isn't a too popular of a person on the board and i'm just kind of hopping onto the beat right now so maybe i could get to the bottom of things but they really genuinely seemed like they were trying to help us back in especially obviously david you know david will Williams. He, he was, uh, he was a top guy. I always saw him around. He was always at the games on the field. I remember we were smoking Tennessee. We were just absolutely beating the brakes off of Tennessee my senior year. And he's just coming up like high fiving us. Or if, I can't tell if that was my senior year or if it was my junior year, but it was one of the times we were playing Tennessee and he's just coming up and we're just having a good time, man. And, um, I feel like that guy really invested in us as athletes. And I think Candace wanted to do the same thing, but I think eventually, um, you know, we say that ominous from the top thing. I think she might have to, you know, conform to some things and then that's going to lead to criticism on her. And then eventually it's just going to, you know, it's just going to be an internal struggle in a triangle from the coaching staff to the athletic staff, to the media, to the, to the school administration. You know, it's just, why doesn't, why can't we get a system where things work out? If anything, our system just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not allowing people to succeed. Obviously no one's been able to do the job. Right. I mean, even, David Williams, you know, he's, he's came under fire because sometimes, you know, you, you, you want to do things and we're talking about state. And it sounded like at times during, while I was there, he found funding for a lot of upgrades or stuff, but then obviously it just mysteriously disappears or the talks just disappear. And who knows what happened? Like, it could just be like the school just basically telling him like, Oh, you know what? Stop doing that. And I think that's what the rumor was when I was a player going around was like the school just didn't want like, this investment into the program or something like that. That was the rumor that was going around when I was there. So it's kind of like all of that. It's not like, you know, maybe Candace isn't, I'm sure Candace wants to do a good job. No one wants to go into a job and do a bad job. No one wants to be a loser. I think things are just not in a, in a place right now where our system works at all, like not even remotely. Let's see, Vandy Nash says, what's the culture of the athletic department like at Vanderbilt? Um, I, uh, so me and the players made our own little culture, and I don't know if the guys have kept it up since we've left or not, but we basically called our little culture OTMU, Out the Mud University, you know. It was something we took a little pride in. It was just, it was good fun, but eventually it kind of molded into our identities. You can still see guys like Trey Tarpley, Trent Sherfield, uh, Trey Ellis, you know, going out there and they still rep those, they still rep those four letters. It's kind of like, um, Trey Herndon still does it too. It's, it's hilarious. Me in the 2014 class, Caleb Scott, we came up and we were like, wow, we got to Vanderbilt and real quick learned. It wasn't like a normal sec school. We were like, all right, this sucks. <laughs> so we can either take it one or two ways. We can cry about it or we can try and make it the best we can be. So we kind of took pride in that. You know, we took pride in being the underdog. We took pride in being, and that's been my whole life, Chris. I mean, I'm just not like I'm an amazing athlete. I was a late recruit and everything, you know, I'm an XFL player, not an NFL player. You know, I was never like a super talented guy. So it worked real well for me. We were out of the mud. You know, we didn't have good facilities. We didn't have good anything, but we were going to give Auburn a run for their money. We were going to, beat Georgia. We were going to go into the Georgia game completely ready to win at their homecoming. We're going to beat the brakes off Tennessee. You know, we wanted to do it four years in a row. We got it three, whatever. Like we wanted to defy the odds and we took great pride in it. We loved away games much more than we loved home games. We loved the huge crowds that hated us. Old Miss, Kentucky, literally just, I'm up at the front and they're just screaming at us. And they're like, you know, you guys are awful and they play like other team players had no respect for us, but then we would come out and win a game. Um, this, that's the sort of culture we had when I was there. Were we madly successful? No. Was it a huge success story? Not really, but we did go to two bowl games and I think that's two out of six in the program history. I do take pride in that. I really do. I mean, Vanderbilt's a tough place to win at and we, we did what we could and we had some guys go to the top level of football and I'm really proud of those guys and I'm proud of what we were able to, what we were able to do to find the odds because we recognized the odds were against us real early. I mean, it was like weeks into our time at Vanderbilt. We were like, we had a pretty close class in the 2014 class and um, that's just, that's just how we did it and that's how we ran the team up until we all left. So Vandy Nash says... Do some players get bitter over time when they learn how the Vanderbilt administration truly approaches athletics? 
Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I think it's a deal breaker for a lot of guys. Uh, you can you can say it's a generational thing, maybe. I mean, I've I went in and I felt like, you know, I I suffered from a little bit of imposter syndrome, and I I, I was always a decent player. Like I knew I was going to eventually play, but at the same time, I was like, you know, I have to earn my way on here. A lot of guys come on and you know, they're not at the level they need to be. And then they see how the school kind of treats the athletics compared to other places. And they're like, screw this. And then they check out mentally and then they get bitter. And I think that happens to, I think this is a common thing. It's not even like one or two guys. It's like a common thing at Vanderbilt. I think it does push guys, you know, push guys away or over the edge or away from football. It's happened. I mean, I could think of, I'm not going to name names, but I literally can think of names off the top who just, you know, felt slighted by the whole situation. So I think that's 100% valid. Bruno, we're out of questions for the night. I know you're going to be around. I think you're going to be on the podcast more going forward. You'll be doing stuff at the site. But tell folks where to follow you on social media and anything else that you'd like to throw out there tonight. Yep. So I'm simple. Uh, my Instagram and Twitter is at Bruno Reagan. Follow my Twitter if you want more of my, you know, thoughts. I live tweet things like games, things about Vanderbilt. My Twitter is more of like, you know, my journalistic business thing. And my Instagram is more of my personal thing, which is where I, I run a business, uh, a martial arts company, Reagan Martial Arts. You know, we have a location in Clarksville. That's mostly what I post on my Instagram. So that's more of my personal stuff. But if you want to follow most of my work or what I talk about or my interactions with Vanderbilt and Vandy fans, you'll want to follow my Twitter. Twitter at Bruno Reagan. Um, but other than that, you know, I'll be on the site pretty actively too. So don't, if you have it, if you ever want my opinion, please tag me, you know, I try to check as, up as much as you can just tag me in a little post. I'll make a quick write up on whatever you want. So that's uh that's where we're headed right now, but I appreciate it guys. And I appreciate it, Chris, for having me on. Yeah. Well, you won't be a stranger on the podcast and we look forward to doing a few more of these. Sounds good. Appreciate it. He's Bruno Reagan. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening, and we will be back with more episodes coming later this week.